Good morning to you all. Our topic today is going to be on the Tower of Babel. We're going to be talking a little bit about about it and really try to apply some principles that we see uh, from this story. And um, I think it was probably a few weeks ago I was somehow I got reading about this and there's a lot of stuff that people say about this and some of this some stuff that just is wild and um i thought well let's just talk about it because i think there's a very basic principle uh that we need to look uh look uh towards when we read about this story that we'll talk about uh later in in the lesson but i want to start off by uh, reading about this story in genesis chapter 11 all right and if you kind of know the Genesis story, you'll kind of know this is sometime after uh, the flood, all right? So these these are Noah's descendants. And beginning in verse 1, it says, Now the whole earth had one language and one speech, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone, and they had asphalt for mortar, And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language. And this is what they begin to do. Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down and, and there confuse our language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore its name is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. Now you read that, and, and there's a lot going on here, and there's a lot that isn't said here. All right, There's a lot of, when you look at this, and if you're like me, you start thinking about some stuff like this is what's going on here. Is This is something. This is pretty interesting. And always have some questions about this. And, you know, what was the tower for, for example? What were they really trying to do? And some translations, so I read from the New King James Version, and it says and they were building this tower unto the heavens. Some translations will say unto heaven. And so... You know, what were they really trying to do here? You know, were they trying to reach heaven? Uh, and what's fascinating to me is what we see and from what really God's reaction to this tower was, was you know, they had the ability to build such a thing. That's, that's something in and of itself, too. And what else would they do after uh, they build this tower? And we're going to look at some of these questions. We're not going to answer all of them because we simply can't. But... I think there's a there's a point here uh, that we can make when we see uh, such stories like this that not every minute detail is laid out, and we see some things in the first part of Genesis in which we see stories that lack info, and I, I put lacking info in quotes because I don't believe that it's really um, you know that we're really missing out on anything here. Uh, for example, in Genesis chapter uh, 6, uh, we see where the sons of God are marrying women. And, 
if you ever talk with any anybody about that, there's varying uh, you know opinions on who the sons of God were. Uh, some will say that these were just godly men. People, will say, other people will say that they were angels that were marrying women. And then you see in, in Genesis chapter six and verse four talk about giants, which these giants were the offspring of the sons of God and the women. And of course, we see giants being talked about in other places. Remember Goliath and the the, the Rephaim, I believe that's what they were called. Uh, the, you know the the people in Canaan. Uh, that's referenced as well. And then, you know, in Genesis 7, of course, we have the flood, but we also have the fountains of the deep. And I guess you would say that I believe it's described as the windows were heaven, windows of heaven were opened up as well. And so these were just a few things that I thought about in, in a few minutes that there's things here that we just don't know. And people spend a lot of time speculating about they especially t- speculate a lot about this and this, all right? Uh, and then people will talk about this as well. And, again, we, we simply just don't know a whole lot about that. And I would, you know, just want to say I believe there's a reason uh, for that, uh, that, there are, that there are stories there that we just don't know a whole lot about. And even when we get into the New Testament, everything's not just completely spelled out for us. And so I want to think for a minute, how does this lack of info help us? And you may think I'm going down a trail here, but I think you kind of help us understand uh, later on getting into this lesson why I bring this up. So how does this lack of info uh, help us here? Well, first of all, I think it keeps us from going down the rabbit hole. If we we, uh, knew every little detail about this tower, people would spend hours and hours and days and years researching this tower and totally missed the point uh, that God's trying to give to us. And I believe this the, these things in which are not completely spelled out, it keeps us from missing uh, the point, which we'll talk about with the Tower of Babel. Uh, you think about the whole situation with Noah's Ark. People talk, you know, they, they wonder about the Ark and all of that stuff. And what's the main point? Is that the disobedient were judged, and the obedient were judged as well. The obedient lived, the disobedient were condemned. All right, and that's the main point that we see uh, in the ark. Okay, you think about it in Proverbs 25 and verse 16. This is a little bit different context, but it says, Have you found honey? It only as much as you need, lest you be filled with it and vomit. So, Proverbs writer, he's talking about honey. I believe there's a principle here that when we spend too much time or just get so involved in one particular aspect of of something that it can actually cause us more harm than good. Uh, There was, I don't know if I should say this, but um, when I was on the research farm working as a student worker, I worked along with a lot of uh, graduate students. They were all in a master's program. Of course, we have undergrad, you have master's, then you have a PhD. And there was kind of a joke that peak intelligence was at the master's degree. And when you get the PhD, you actually just kind of lose intelligence. And what they were really saying was that people become so specialized in one thing, focused on one thing, that... It's like they just lose all common sense. Anything outside of that specialty, they just don't know anything. And um, and this is kind of what I'm talking about here. When we 
spend so much time looking at things that really don't matter, that is not the point that is trying to be made, it can cause problems for us. In Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 12, it says, And further, my son, be admonished by these, of making many books there is no end, and much study is wearisome to the flesh. So Solomon was writing this, and, you know, just in verse 11, he was talking about, you know, he had searched out wisdom. He's, you know, he spent a lot of time looking for it. Of course, he had wisdom. And he makes this statement, and in verse 13, he makes, he writes a, a you know, verse that we probably all know. This is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. So he's saying, making books, there is no end, and much study is worrisome to the flesh. You can spend all your life, you know, studying, uh, growing in knowledge, all of these things. Uh, be like Solomon, search out all this knowledge and whatever. And what was his conclusion? Fear God and keep his commandments. Okay? And so that's the point, again, that's trying to be made. Now, again, I'm not saying don't learn and don't go to college or whatever. I think you understand what I'm trying to make. But there is a problem when we spend so much time and, 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 you, and when we grow in that knowledge, it is used in such a way in which we drift away from God. All right? So the main point that I think that what we see from the Tower of Babel is the dangers of pride. All right? That's the main point that is, trying, that is being driven home here. And, you know, what, does, you know what, uh, what are the downsides of pride? What does it cause? And I was talking with somebody, I think I might have been talking with Andrew or whatever, not, you know, maybe last week or whatever, that pride... Any type of disobedience towards God, any type of sin, I think it can be ultimately linked back to pride in some way. All right? It's always my will above God's will. It's my way uh, instead of God's way. All right? So when we think about the Tower of Babel, and, and again, this was sometime after the, uh, the flood, Remember what it said in Genesis chapter 9, right after the flood. It says, So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. All right? So they were going to be fruitful, multiply. They were going to scatter. They were going to fill the earth uh, with their offspring. All right? Do you remember one of the reasons for building the tower? Go back to Genesis chapter 11. Let's make a name for ourselves lest we be scattered across the earth, all right? God tells them to fill the earth. They're like, well, let's build this city, let's build this tower, lest we be scattered. So there was something there. They were just wanting to build this great city. They were going to build this great kingdom, and they were just going to settle in that area. And we see that that, that, that whole plan was against God's will uh, to begin with, that they did not want to scatter even though that was the plan. We also see where they say, let us make a name for ourselves. You know, when somebody sees this tower, when we, when we look at our city, when we're going to, when we did something here, you know, and, and it was, you know, just something that they were going to build this great thing. It was going to boost their ego. They were going to say that we are this great, powerful people. And, and to the point where 
God was saying, they keep on going down this route. There's nothing that's going to be withheld from them. And it was this whole idea of building this tower was rooted in their pride. It was to boost their ego. And they were given a plan, but they had a better plan, all right? They were to scatter. They didn't scatter. They build this great thing. They weren't going to scatter. And then also they were going to build this tower so that they could have a name uh, for themselves, right? So pride. They also, they did have the ability to, uh, to build this tower. We notice how, what, how God responds to uh, this tower. He says that if they do this, that nothing's going to be withheld from them. Again, they could do these great things. But notice how they had this knowledge, but pride, all right? And notice how knowledge with pride corrupts, and it caused them to forget God. It caused them to forget what God wanted uh, for them. And we can think for days how in our modern time, how we have great knowledge. You know, we're building great towers all the time. Great, great buildings are doing great things. But when pride comes along, how does that corrupt, uh, corrupt the person that is doing these great things? Uh, we think about all these individuals, how they're, that they're doing great things, but they're driven by greed. Uh, they are just very evil individuals. You think about these great, wealthy individuals that we talk about all the time. They're not good people. And um, so we see how that can corrupt one. We see in 1 Corinthians 1, verses 20 through 21, it says, Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. This is, of course, in the context Paul is talking about the gospel. And he's saying that God used those things that were deemed foolish by the world to you know, bring about the, the gospel, bring about salvation. And he's made foolish the wisdom of this world. That's the key there. We have godly wisdom. We have the wisdom of this world. The wisdom of this world and those that are wise in the world do not know God. That they just, for whatever reason, they just can't comprehend the fact that there is the one God. That that he would set up this plan for salvation. That he would, uh, that he would have his own son to die uh, so that one could be saved. And it just, why would he do that? And, um, again, today, still the same thing. Why would he do something? That just doesn't make sense. That's crazy. Why would he do that? But, yet, those, again, those that are wise in this world just can't, they just don't know God. They can't understand his plan. And it says here that God, through the foolishness of the message preached, uh, will save those who believe. All right? So we see the contrast between man's wisdom and God's wisdom. In Psalm 10, verse 3 and 4, it says, For the wicked boasts of his heart's desire. He blesses the greedy and renounces the Lord. The wicked in his proud countenance does not seek God. 
God is in none of his thoughts. Here we have plenty, pretty plain statement. The psalmist writing about those who are proud, right? He talks about the wicked. They renounce the Lord. The wicked in his proud countenance does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts, all right? So we have, we have, if we have this huge problem of pride in our lives, that we're just, you know, it's all about me. I'm arrogant. I, won't, I refuse to humble myself. This is me. This is who I am. We read what, how God is going to view those who are humble and those who are proud. He's going to lift up those who are humble. He's going to bring low those who are proud. Uh, those, again, uh, those that are proud are not going to be pleasing to God. Proverbs 16 and verse 5. Everyone proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though they join forces, none will go unpunished. Again, I think this is like a perfect description of what was going on in Babel. The proud in hearts and abomination, though they join forces, though they come together, unite for one particular purpose, they won't go unpunished. So there's grave danger from pride, very clear and present danger uh, from pride. I have this picture here. I can't remember. I've gone blank uh, with the captain. Uh, who, were the ca- who the captain was was a Titanic. This is a picture of the Titanic sinking. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that you all know about it. It was a great ship. I think it was early, very early 1900s. Sailed, hit an iceberg. Uh, and sunk. They made a movie about it. All right. And so, interesting about the Titanic that there were several watertight compartments uh, within the Titanic, and really the purpose of those things that if one of those compartments started leaking water, it wouldn't flood the whole ship, and it would keep that ship from sinking. And the captain said that not even God could sink this ship. All right. That's a very well-known quote. And um, I just think those few uh, couple verses that we just read perfectly described him. He had a proud countenance. He was, man, this ship is going to go. There's nothing that's going to bring this down. And um, you see what happened to it. And, it's, and um, very quickly, I mean, they, they thought they had the plan. They thought they had everything figured out. And we see where an iceberg took it out. What man, it was just nature, took it out. All right? And so we see again uh, that you better be careful when making those types of statements. Uh, that when, when, when we were proud, when we think we finally got it figured out, that even God himself cannot stop us, there's going to be something that's probably going to come and stop you eventually. All right? It may not be in this life, uh, but you're going, to be, you're going to be humbled at some point. Right? In Jude 12 and 13, talking about false teachers here, it says, These are spots in your love feasts, while they feast with you and without fear, serving only themselves. There are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars for whom it is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. So these people, they... They feast with you. They're right there with you. And so you can imagine they're probably smiling. They're shaking hands. They talk about how they love you so much. 
But what's the reality here? They're serving only themselves. What's the true condition of these individuals? They're clouds without water. They look the part, but they're, they're no good. They're useless. Laid autumn trees without fruit. And so we see here that the spreading of these falsehoods and the people that hold to and teach these falsehoods are linked to you know, pride and selfishness. They're only considering themselves. They're only serving uh, themselves. In 2 Peter 2 and verses 10 and, and 13 through 13 says, And especially those who walk according to the flesh and the lust of uncleanness and despise authority, they are presumptuous, self-willed, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. But these, like natural brute beasts, made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of the things they do not understand and will utterly perish in their own corruption and will receive the wages of righteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. There are spots and blemishes carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you. Again, we see these individuals. They are presumptuous. They're self-willed. It's interesting how Peter describes them. They're not able to speak evil of dignitaries. Those that are above them, that have more power than them, those that are in authority, they speak evil of them. And he says, the angels, angels want him to do those things. Remember the in Jude, I believe it's Jude, discussion with Michael, and Michael the archangel, and, and Satan, or and how he wouldn't even speak evil of, of the devil. Okay? So he won't even speak evil of them, but we see these people. They're going to speak out. Uh, again, they despise authority. They walk according to their lusts. And so, again, they, what's the end result of these individuals? They're going to perish in their own corruption. They're going to receive the wages of unrighteousness. All right? So we see, again, the attitude of these individuals, very prideful very selfish uh, individuals. And again, it, it seems as though a lot of times when we look at false teachers and what they do, they don't come in, you know, just like a bull in a china shop and just start saying all of y'all are wrong or whatever it may be. Usually their message revolves around love and compassion. You know, I'm more loving than anyone else or I'm more compassionate than anyone else and this is why we have to accept or tolerate this sin or whatever it may be. But what does the Bible describe them as? They describe them as selfish, prideful, evil individuals, unrighteous individuals. And so even though a teacher, a false teacher's message may be love and compassion, their desires are rooted in their pride. All right? And so this is what, you know, really... It's, it can be kind of hard dealing with the individual that's talking like this, that he's, you know, we, you know, I'm just wanting to do the right thing, and it's, you know, I want to love everybody, and we should be loving everybody, whatever message it may, may be. But the reality is that those things are false. Those things are not according to the Scriptures. And this is their true self. This is what the Bible says that they are. They may think that they're this. The Bible says that they are that. that they are prideful, and they are selfish individuals. And finally, when we look at the Tower of Babel, we see where God, see, God sees what they're doing, and so 
He scatters them. And so, Genesis 9, God says, you need to scatter, be fruitful, multiply, and scatter. They didn't scatter. Well, God scatters them anyway. And so, God's will gets accomplished even in the midst of all disobedience. All right? He scatters them. He confuses their language, which when, they, when their languages are confused... I mean, they're, they really, they're not going to be able to come back together any more since, all right? And so it's really impossible for them to come back together to do these sorts of things ever again. And so we see in 1 Peter 1, verse 25, it says, But the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. When God says something, when he prophesies that something is going to happen, that's what's going to get done, Right? When God gives us a promise, it's going to endure forever. doesn't matter what anybody else uh, thinks about. doesn't matter what anybody else's plan uh, is. You know, Satan is working against the Lord 24-7. And we know how that's going to end up, and we know that his promise still holds regardless of what Satan does. And so that word is going to endure forever. And finally, in Isaiah 9, and verses 6 and 7, this is talking about Jesus. But I want you to notice the description of him and what he's going to do. All right? It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Right? Notice his government. All right? Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. His government, his kingdom, is going to last forever. All right? And so the question for us today is, do we want to be a part of that kingdom? Do we want to be a part of that kingdom uh, that lasts forever? Or do we want to be uh, with those who are prideful, who are selfish, self-willed, those that speak evil of those things that are righteous? All right? So which, which, you know, where do we want to be? Do we want to be with the righteous or the unrighteous? And that's the decision for us today. That's really the decision for us every day. On what, uh, who do we decide uh, to serve? Who do we choose to serve? For the Christian, they've already made that choice. And so they make that choice, and then every day they make that conscious decision. I'm going to serve God. I'm going to serve God today. All right? Do you want to be a part of that kingdom? All right? We can help you make that happen. Um, if, if you would like to be a part of that kingdom, we'd certainly love to discuss those things with you. And um, if you are already a Christian, and you know maybe you've, uh, you know maybe you've fell back into sin, uh, maybe there's something that uh, the brethren here need to pray about. Uh, we certainly like to help you in any way that we can. And um, will you come as we stand and as we sing the song that's been selected? <laughs>